HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Welcome to part two of a special episode of The Line covering the COVID-19 crisis. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, chef and co-owner of Samisa Restaurant in Williamsburg. If you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back and take a listen to last week's episode. Now nearly a month into the COVID-19 pandemic, with infection numbers soaring and new cities being affected daily, the fate of the entire hospitality industry remains precarious and the outlook appears catastrophic. The majority of restaurants, bars, and cafes nationwide have closed. During the week ending March 21st, over 3.2 million people filed unemployment claims in the United States. This was five times higher than any week previously in our nation's history. For many, unemployment assistance will not match their pre-COVID wage. And for those who are undocumented, an even greater challenge awaits since undocumented workers could be ineligible for stimulus checks and unemployment benefits. The hospitality industry comprises over 16 million people, and much, if not all of them, will be put on unemployment during this crisis. Millions of them did not have health care before, and now as the world fights one of the largest health crises ever, we have left our most vulnerable unprotected. The uncertainty of the ever-lengthening timeline is the new invisible enemy. Business owners, accustomed to weathering the cyclical nature of seasonal sales, the roller coaster of small business ownership, familiar with navigating the local bureaucracy of permits, filings, payments, and regulations, have been introduced to a whole new series of monumental challenges. In February, it was prep lists, invoices, and payroll. Now it's understanding federal stimulus bills, connecting with local government relief programs, negotiating with landlords, 
lobbying politicians, converting restaurants to free meal sites to feed out-of-work neighbors, and forming coalitions to enhance and focus public pleas for financial assistance. In this episode, more stories from chefs and owners still processing what has happened to their businesses since the emergence of COVID-19. Stories of worrying about the future and of lacking personal purpose, and stories of hoping for survival. Stories of energizing the industry to come together and to fight for its own existence. The first audio you'll hear is from Akhtar Nawab, a chef and owner with locations and projects in New York City, New Orleans, D.C., and Omaha, Nebraska. So we laid off roughly 60-some-odd employees. So we have... Um, a pretty young business. It's about three years, I would say, in total. Um, a little more, three and a half. But we've we've actually expanded fairly rapidly. And besides restaurants, we also manage food halls. Um, one in Omaha, coming up in Chicago, for example, a few restaurants, etc., in different cities. But all across the platform, that's about 60 employees. That there's very little I can do for. Um, at this time, a lot of the people who work for us, and you included, and a lot of our peers, kind of need immediate help. You know, they, they really do live, you know, even more regularly than check to check, more like day to day. And that's tough to, to turn to them. These people have, have gainfully employed for many years um, to say we don't have work for them. Um, one of the most important things about my job is, I guess, I consider myself an employer, which I am, but it's a proud part of my job um, is to employ these people um, and, and, and feel good knowing that they're able to take care of themselves and their families with the work that we have for them, and we're lucky to have it. Uh, someone has taken away... Um, in kind of the capacity it has been, it feels like you've been stripped of something very meaningful. Um, and that's hard to, to accept in a lot of ways. We closed all our businesses, so all in that's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six places all together. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a little bit luckier than some, I guess. I'm able to work from home on some of the projects that are still forthcoming. Um, but it's it's not really the work that um, I can extend to others in some ways. So um, it's it's been it's been a, a very kind of difficult readjustment, and I guess I could liken it to when my restaurant closed in two thousand eight. The first time around, um, when it was gone, you have this moment of, who am I? What am I doing? Um, and I guess I kind of have having having that moment again, obviously with a little more experience than I had as a younger kid um, when I closed it the first time. But I feel like I'm having that moment again where, what am I doing? Who am I um, in a professional setting? Um, because I don't, I'm not surrounded by those same people that um, I, I have been every day for the past three and a half years and longer for some people who worked for me. You know, I'm hopeful that that our community of chefs and restaurateurs and um, friends who can identify with what we do 
um, can cobble together kind of a plan that hopefully in the future will be formidable and, and not derailed uh, by something like this in the future. But yeah, I'm in the same boat as everyone, I guess. So um, trying to trying to find the good in it and come out the other side of, of what we're dealing with. I guess for me, a better person and a better employer hopefully translates to better chef and better experience for everyone who comes in down the road. The next voices you'll hear are Max Katzenberg and Greg Backstrom, owners of Olmsted and Maison Yaki, who have transformed their restaurant Olmsted into a meals distribution center for South Brooklyn and also have formed the New York Hospitality Coalition. So yeah, last Sunday, we had to lay off all 60 plus employees due to COVID-19. And so we, in the beginning, we thought about trying to go to delivery only uh, at both restaurants. However, that would only really save 10 or 20% of our employees' uh, positions, and uh, you're still putting them in harm's way. So we eventually pivoted and decided to just close the restaurants. I mean, the restaurant industry, it's a labor of love. You, know, you don't come into the restaurant industry to get rich. You, you get into that business because you have a passion for it, and it's extremely familial. You know, the your employees and your coworkers, they really become like family. And having to lay off our entire staff, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. It was it was really the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. So since if we're gonna at least uh, uh, terminate all of our employees, we might as well at least try to do something good for the community for them. So um, we started a food bank, and so for the foreseeable future, Olmstead will operate as as a place to get supplies from toilet paper to tampons to prepared meals to just some ingredients to go home and cook with. Yeah, I mean, we laid off 60 people. The industry in New York City laid off about a quarter million people. And they all have uh, food scarcity right now. I mean, they're all making sub-minimum unemployment. And to be able to turn Olmstead into a food bank that's geared towards, you know, hospitality worker relief, it's just incredibly rewarding and uh, and we've had an outstanding response so far. You know, the, the, the way I kind of look at it is that we are fortunate enough to be in a position to help people, so uh, therefore we should. When we finally decided on that Tuesday, so on the fifth day after Friday the 13th, uh, to shut it down entirely, we sat back and we really started to feel the enormity of what we're going through as, as a country. Um, and as the days went on, we realized that the government was a little disconnected with the hospitality industry operators. They didn't understand exactly what they had, what the full implications of asking restaurants and bars across the state to close were. They didn't understand that 250,000 people in New York City were going to get laid off, 865,000 people in the state. And they also don't understand the cash flow of the restaurant industry, of businesses within the, the restaurant industry. Um, so what we were foreseeing was, you know, headlines of paychecks are bouncing. We we thought there could be some real um, long-term implications for for the industry if that happened. Uh, so we, we sprung to action. We were just compelled to try to bring as many operators uh, or as many people that were going to be really affected by this, which is everyone in the industry, uh, together as fast as we can. So we started on Thursday, 
Um, and, and on Friday, uh, Governor Cuomo announced that he was going to suspend the payments. So that was really an incredible few days. And the thing has just snowballed uh, since then. We've had such an outpouring of support from guests, workforce, operators. You know, coalitions are popping up in other cities all around the country, and we're all collaborating, you know, hand in hand. Hi, my name is Brent Kroll. I'm the proprietor and sommelier at Maxwell Park in Washington, D.C. Calling right now from my uh, condo in Northeast Washington, D.C. Um, coming on here to talk about uh, navigating uh, this time during the coronavirus, um, trying to avoid closing and just uh, staying afloat in general. It's best right now also to establish a budget to really see kind of like this is what I have to spend per month based on these fees that I'm getting charged monthly so you don't get blindsided. You should build a budget and space it out in terms of what you need to do with to-go food, how you're running your labor, and really uh, how long you want to budget for this to go where you would be like viably able to stay afloat. Um, I think for me personally right now, budgeting between June and August is the way to go. Um, this industry right now, I think, is kind of being taken for granted in terms of what we do for charity, what we pay in taxes, and just that it'll be there no matter what. Um, the lower, the middle class, the entrepreneurs, all the people that kind of make this industry what this is are the people suffering the most. Um, I definitely recommend doing something like a GoFundMe. Uh, we've been able to raise almost $3,000 for our staff in uh, a couple days, which is great. We're only about a staff of 10 with about two locations. Um, doing online Insta videos and trying to give let, uh, get people to leave uh, optional gratuity is also a, uh, a great way to raise money for your people that can't work. Um, I think uh, I've been posting about this online too, talking to credit card processors and trying to make sure that they don't charge you for non-chip reading card transactions if you're doing to-go. Um, restructuring your insurance during this time. A lot of places have legal minimums where you have to have a, like a minimum of a million dollars is the DC minimum. Um, talk to them about how your payroll is lowered, how your revenue is lowered, and you should be able to get your insurance either suspended or lowered. Um, your pest control contract that you legally have to have by the health department, try to get that suspended. Try to get your trash suspended. Try to get Verizon to go to a dark period or suspended or something like that. Um, look at all these companies, if they have rentals for your equipment, trying to not just get delayed payment because that's not really going to help you in the long term, but try to get them to stop on their monthly rental fees in the meantime. And then if you have a success where you talk to a vendor and it goes well, or even if it goes poorly, um, posting about this and letting everyone know and kind of sharing this and banding together as a community. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. 
Welcome back to The Line. In this episode, part two of our special covering the COVID-19 crisis, we're hearing chefs and owners, in their own words, talking about their futures and the future of the hospitality industry. There is so much uncertainty right now, and owners are struck by a new set of questions keeping them up at night. Will the government help me and my team make it through this crisis with the proper level of aid? Will the banks pause the interest on my loans? Will my landlord lock the doors and never let me in again? Will I have a business or a job to return to? And the public wonders, will restaurants, bars, and cafes that we love still exist when we are all able to come out of our homes again? Up next, a message of hope for the future of the industry from Camilla Marcus, chef and owner of Westbourne in New York City. You know, our industry is facing an unprecedented, horrendous challenge um, with so many people's lives at stake, most importantly. And we're fighting hard. We're fighting hard to protect our teams and to hopefully reopen to take care of our communities again. And all while, obviously, we all face one of the greatest health crises, um, certainly of our generation, across our country. The, The only silver lining for me really has been to see, um, you know, your your soul is really tested when there are real challenges present. And for me to see, you know, our industry rise up and finally coalesce and come together in cities, in states, across the nation, independent restaurants, and the amazing, incredible, talented, and heartfelt people that take care of our public day in and day out, really fighting to be taken care of in turn and taking care of one another. It's it's really brought out just a tremendous amount of courage, leadership, passion, empathy, and bravery um, on the part of so many people uh, that I've admired for so long that I care about and to hear their voices emerge, to hear them come together as one and and to see really their their courage and bravery um, to get our our industry saved and hopefully stabilized and reemerged on the other side of this. Hello, this is Whitney Otaka. I am the chef at the Greyfield Inn on Cumberland Island, Georgia. Um, I. I'm currently uh, in a very isolated environment, which has proven to be a unique benefit during these strange times. So we decided um, collectively as a business to shutter for two weeks. You know, it was very interesting to make that decision. And it really was um, in order to help sort of our staff and to help the general public in, again, not spreading the disease because we are a popular place to be during this time, oddly enough, because we're so remote. Uh, Generally, Cumberland Island only has a population of about 50 people. It's a national seashore. There's no roads to Cumberland. You can only get here by boat or plane. Um, And the inn itself can only accommodate up to 32 guests. So in general, it's a fairly, fairly sort of uh, isolated place with limited contact uh, with other people. 
Um, so now that we're closed, uh, we're in a very uh, fortunate position where we've taken this time on as a deep cleaning. Uh, so we have allowed or asked any staff that wanted to stay on the island to stay and anyone that wanted to leave can leave. Um, the situation being that we are not running any boats back and forth between the island and the mainland, which means we're kind of stuck here. <laughs> um, so that that allows us to sort of keep our our staff safe from getting any um, contact with anyone that might have um, the the virus. I am uncertain. I wouldn't say I'm uh, neither um, afraid or optimistic right now. I guess being here is interesting too because the only thing I really have access to, I can't really see the day-to-day movement of my community. I can only see this remote, beautiful island um, and read the news, you know, learning today that, you know, my home state, California is kind of in lockdown and seeing my siblings in that situation. It leads me to a lot of uncertainty about what what will happen. Uh, I do know that this has been very hard on a lot of my peers in the restaurant business, which is very hard to watch um, from such an insulated place. Um, but I do believe that the hospitality industry is very, very strong. And I think that we will rally and pull together and help one another. This is Nate Adler. Uh, owner, founder of Gertie in Williamsburg, a uh, restaurant on the corner of Marcy and Grand. Um, you know, this has been a real hard couple weeks, few weeks for all of us in the industry. Um, but I feel like it has also brought a lot of hope and mutual understanding and respect amongst owners and operators in the industry. Um, You know, we've been able to turn our restaurant into a soup kitchen of sorts um, through the Lee Initiative, which is an organization in Kentucky run by Chef Edward Lee. And now we're feeding over 200 people a day, hospitality workers that are out of work as well as hospital workers and uh, the volunteers and employees of City Harvest. And, um, you know, that makes us feel really good about the ability and the power of um, having a place that you can bring people and feed people even in a crisis like this. Hope all is well, be safe, be healthy, and stay up. This is Eli again. While the extension of unemployment benefits will help some of those who are out of work and stimulus applications are becoming available to business owners, there is still so much to be done to help the hospitality industry and its workers. But while owners anxiously chart a new path forward, there is some help and hope for those in need of assistance and those looking for leadership. Hospitality workers are creative, resilient, and incredibly scrappy bunch. 
We are seeing unprecedented organization utilizing social media as a platform to disperse relevant information, share best practices, keep spirits lifted, and alert people who are food insecure about accessing free meals. Organizations like the Lee Initiative, New York Hospitality Coalition, Roar.New York, RWCF USA, and the Independent Restaurant Coalition are all working hard to feed, advocate, and educate to aid workers and small business owners. To find out how to get involved and advocate for the hospitality industry and for up-to-date information for business owners and hospitality workers, follow me on Instagram at the Sussmans and go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash COVID-19, where we have resources and a running list of our COVID-19 coverage. Special thanks to Dylan Hoyer for producing this episode, and of course, those who shared their stories. I'm Eli Sussman for Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.